0: Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what Brave Feminine Leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates, melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership and a series where I'm meeting exclusively with female founders. I am so excited today to introduce you to Georgie Drury. Georgie, welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure.
0: Now, let me jump in and give the audience a little bit of a background about you, and then I'll ask you to expand on that. So, Georgie is an experienced and successful founder and investor specialising in scaling and commercialising ventures, especially startups. In 2008, Georgie's background in management consulting and technology led her to create her own company, Spring Day. Spring Day is a platform designed to help reduce health risks and improve well-being. So by 2019, Spring uh, Spring Day was a multi-million dollar company, and its uh, cloud-based program was deployed by organizations across 13 countries in Asia-Pac. Now, having successfully exited Spring Day, Georgie works with a range of startups and is co-founding her latest venture, which we can't wait to hear about, in uh, 2022, uh, Georgie's committed to innovation in health and well-being, and in her spare time has an absolute love of sport. So it's seen her involved in everything from netball, climbing, skiing and sailing, including the Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race. And to give back to the community, Georgie mentor, mentors female founders and young women um, in the Tech Girls Are Superheroes competition, which sounds absolutely fantastic. So once again, welcome. Lovely to have you here. Thanks, Alyssa. So for the audience, for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, um, why don't you share with us who you are and, you know, let's let's jump into your journey.
1: Sure. I describe myself as a tech geek in sneakers. Uh, so from a really, really early age, I've always had a love of technology. I was one of these lucky girls that in 1984 my father bought a Mac, so I always knew that there was going to be a technology um, in my life. And as well, my father had his own company and it was just always um, ever present for me that I would always have my own company. And so I think it's that whole, you know, it was the natural evolution for me being the eldest of four children in my father's environment that I would do that. And I remember particularly at 12 years of age saying to my dad, oh, dad, I need more pocket money. And he said, come and work for me. So the whole concept of a work ethic has just always been there. But you do the traditional, finish school, go to university, and then was really lucky to land a job in management consulting. And it was then that I thought, right, if I'm going to work this bloody hard, I might as well do it for myself and fast track that opportunity. And I also thought that, you know, you've got this whole school, uni, you get to the workforce and you're like, is this it? And so I had the opportunity to sort of scan the environment and thought, I don't know, is this... Is this what well-being is like? What does that mean? What success? And so then, as a strategy consultant, I did a strategy piece, and it said that people want well-being. And so we looked at it, um, and you know, there's probably five pillars. Uh, you know, you can variation on that, but it's that physical well-being, emotional, financial, career, and that social well-being. And if you've got all of those five pillars together, you'll be a thriving individual. So I looked at my own life. I'm like, yeah, physically ticking all the boxes. And then the rest of it, I'm sort of like, well, what's the purpose? Where's the why? You know, all this new language that's come through in the past couple of decades. That wasn't there when I really started looking at this. And I thought, hey, I think there's a market here. The strategy piece that we did says, yep, it's what people want and predominantly women. Um, and so I stopped working on my master's and took the rest of that money and threw it into spring day. Um, and so then fast track to where we are today.
0: So you kind of always knew that you were likely to have your own business. What kind of track were you following in school? Like what, what, were, you, what were you good at? What were the alternatives you were sort of thinking about or were you?
1: Um, so I think it was one of these early days in STEM that they were really trying to focus us on um, engineering, so all the sciences and all the maths is what I was probably really, really good at or what I naturally um, gravitated towards. Year 12, an interesting year for me. I lost one of my best friends. Um, she died. And so that sort of twisted a lot of stuff. And you come back to what is actually really, really important. Um, and I just knew I needed to get through year 12. And then it was the same time that um, this was, you know, mid-90s, that Sydney 2000 was going to be up on, you know, national showcase. Yeah. And there was a lot of specialty sort of degrees coming in through a commerce bent. But they were application only. And so being that sort of, oh, I think you're smart enough, good enough, able enough to apply for some of these things, why don't you go and apply for it? And so then I actually ended up effectively doing a services degree for e e-commerce degree at uni.
0: Okay. So thinking, you know, thinking that the normal path was into management consulting, like did you have any other ideas or was that sort of all... All luck and what what everyone. No,
1: it was really interesting. So when I was at uni, I'm like, right, what? I actually started my first business, and that was when I was like, I could either be waitressing or I could be teaching speech and drama, which is what I'd done all the way at school. And so I thought, right, I can be making fifty dollars an hour as opposed to waitressing for twenty dollars an hour. So I started that first business. Um, So it's the opportunity to win clients, bill, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, as an eighteen year old. And then I started climbing with a friend of mine whose wife was a management consultant. And so it's the visibility to what the opportunities were that really pricked my interest. And my father was an engineer, but there weren't any female engineers. <laughs> and this was half the problem. Yep. And that a lot of that looks like really, really hard work as opposed to the variety that you could get in management consulting. And it was interesting. A, interviewed a number of you know women not interviewed but spoke with a number of senior women they're like you'll know in a couple of years if this is a good opportunity for you but it's great training global opportunities travel the world blah 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 and so it was really seeing people in that uh that sort of environment that said yeah that's something I wanted to do
0: so fascinated when you talk about so even when you were 18 you kind of started your own business looked at the opportunities what did you say you were doing again Drama?
1: Speech, drama and communications. Yes.
0: How did that idea come to you in the first
1: place? Um, Fundamentally it was because I had gone down that path of extracurricular and learning all of that at at school. Then I thought, well, why don't we go and teach more kids to do that because the opportunity was there and there was growing and there was demand. Um, And so we just literally followed that natural inclination of being at school, finishing, getting some qualifications in it, and then other mothers saying, oh, can you help my child in this? Um, And so I think that it was a natural, it's a visibility and awareness for people to see what I was doing and sort of think, hey, is this an opportunity or something you'd be interested in?
0: So you're in the management consulting world um, and you're working pretty hard and how did the how did the idea for spring day come about because that was sort of I mean these days there's a lot of that sort of focus around in those days there wasn't so where did that sort of come from
1: I think it was pure boredom and it was the fact that you would work really really hard and then come Friday you just go to the pub and you'd let loose so that was quite a disconnect with what I had grown up with or the concept of work and I just think that you're getting super bright kids that have finished uni and then you're putting them at the bottom of the totem pole to do really, really boring work without giving them a lot of opportunity for access to senior partners or for, you know, variety. And so it's that whole, what else is out there? If I'm going to work this hard, I might as well be doing it for myself in an environment that I actually have purpose and passion and respect. And then you can introvertly look at your own life and think there has to be more to this. And then because I'd stopped um, my side business, which I was, you know, earning quite good money, $50 an hour at, at, you know, a young age, my levels of income sort of effectively changed and I couldn't be paying for my personal training anymore and I couldn't be doing this and I couldn't be doing that. And I thought, well, digital, let's get into digital. And so that's just when I knew that we needed to actually try and scale expertise digitally in the wellbeing space.
0: Fantastic. So... That journey, then, um, is that is that journey for everyone?
1: I think that if you look at the traits of a founder, yep. you know, fundamentally, curiosity has always driven me. Um, you know, if if you're doing the same thing day in day out, you're not learning, then. I'm too bored. So I think that fundamentally you need to have that curiosity to think, how could something be different? How can I challenge it? Rightly or wrongly, you might not get the right answer, but you've got to think how can something be better? And the other thing is the passion. Like you've got to fundamentally have a passion to actually do that. And then also you need to have a strong risk profile. So to quit a safe environment and a safe management consulting job where you can see what the career path is, um, and think, no, nah, I need to do something different and, you know, stick by your guns to do that, that's probably a couple of things that you would personally need to think about before you actually did that.
0: And a lot of people, so I, I'm interested, if you think back to the colleagues you worked with in management consulting, so a whole range of no doubt extremely bright people, hmm. did any of them follow an entrepreneurial journey as well? Can you think of other examples?
1: Yes, I'm still in touch with some of my friends globally, going back to, you know, 20 years ago um, of people that, yeah, decided to walk away from that lifestyle.
0: Yep. And what about any that chose to do it later? Because I feel like the risk sort of magnifies along the way. Have you got any examples of people who stepped off later?
1: Um, I think probably not from a consulting. I think you'll work out if consulting is for you. And then you'll go down that path or you'll very quickly realise there's more to life or there's something different out there and then you'll jump off. Yeah. But, yeah, a lot of my friends that have founded companies have naturally done it from uni into work or in profession as opposed to, you know, jumping off and starting from scratch.
0: So it intrigues me then, your perspective on do you think people... Um, Can people be successful executives and then be successful founders?
1: I think anyone can be a founder. It's how you define success from being that founder um, and then pushing through with that. So I think that if the execs can, the problem with being a founder off the bat is it's messy and when you get to the point of some execs, and I've had some you know, teams where like, especially a lot of people that come from corporate to then get into a startup and they think there aren't any policies, there aren't any procedures, it's really, really messy. And I'm like, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. So it's going back to the fact that you don't have EAs, you don't have access to anything and you have to do it yourself or you need to pay for it. And therefore, do I really want to be paying for that when I can set up my own database? Or it's that whole idea of the jobs that need to be done do you have the skills to do it? And the patience and the capital get it done.
0: Let's come back to spring day and the journey from 2008. How did you, did you have to look for investors in that? Like, how did you get that off the ground? Tell us about that journey.
1: So, and no, I was really lucky that I self-funded spring day. So we did the strategy piece and thought there's a business there. i would had savings. Um, and so I said, right, let's build out the platform. So we launched as a direct-to-consumer platform, uh, which was really early in its days. And we launched through the Lululemon clothing brand stores. So we had instant uptake up and down the Eastern seaboard. They only had about six or eight stores back then. And all these women said, yay, I love wellbeing. And we ended up, you know, 25,000 subscribers. It was great. We were growing great momentum. The women's magazines picked us all up. And then they all said, I don't want to pay for wellbeing. I want to pay for weight loss. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a weight loss company And, you know, one of these other mistakes you make when you don't have the whole founder playbook, which we have now, is, well, really, you probably need a celebrity endorsement or something along those lines and really strong capital to keep pumping into the direct-to-consumer from a marketing. And I'm like, I just don't think that's me. But where have I come from? Corporate, um, B2B. And so I thought, right, who does want to pay for well-being? And I met my first client and rocked up to one of these industry groups. And I said, hey, I'm here. Is anyone interested in white labelling this wellbeing platform to deploy across your organisation? And they said, yep. And off we went. And so run my first client, then you two, run another two clients. And then it was a snowball effect off the back of that.
0: So Georgie, when you talk about we didn't have the playbook in those days, we do now. What do you know now that you didn't know then?
1: Uh, Firstly, I would never be a solo female founder. It's really, really tough. So if you're really looking to go and raise capital, uh, there is a playbook that the VCs particularly or investors want to see that you are sharing the load. Being a solo female founder can be extraordinarily lonely and a founder that's building a technology company that doesn't code is also another element of risk. So if you're trying to de-risk an investment like anyone would, They'd be looking at, no, we need to have co-founders, you know, potentially three. We need to have growth, products and engineering covered. And so there's a whole range of different things that in Harry Hindsight, you would do differently, which is then influencing, you know, the sorts of decisions that I make moving forward with the next businesses.
0: Hmm. Okay. So I know we can't talk about the next business yet, but so you're approaching it completely differently then, are you?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that number one is trying to find those co-founders that have the skills to match your weaknesses or that, you know, you all complement each other.
0: Yeah. I'm so fascinated around, you know, I'm sure many people on that journey, like you've got 25,000 subscribers and, you know, that that would be incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really sort of taking off. I can imagine a lot of people would be tempted to use a bit of jargon of the day and pivot at that point and decide that, you um, we can go down the weight loss path. Did you spend any time on that at all or what?
1: No, because I just believe that weight loss is a symptom of so much other stuff. And so all the research that I'd done said we need to focus on wellbeing. If you get those five pillars right, the weight loss will come um, as opposed to starting with that as an end goal. Um, and that's probably a reflection on where society's at, that you know the weight loss is the symptom of actually balancing the other things in your life and what's finding out. It's really, really important.
0: It's such a great conversation, isn't it? If you are loving the conversation and you want to hear more about how you can take the next step in your career, come and find out about our masterclasses. Join our website at bravefeminineleadership.com. See you there. So tell us the other difficult things about being a single female founder.
1: Uh, I think it is it is quite lonely. So, And, you know, I remember it's... you've got an idea that you can see that will fit in market and people are constantly saying no 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 it's not going to work um and so that's really when you've got to fully back yourself um, because if no one else is going to back yourself then you have to back yourself so you then develop high levels of resilience um you know things magnify or not magnify depending on what's important to you um and i think that that's where If, you know, it's about being any female in an executive position as well, if you're the first of its kind trying to navigate your way through, you're doing it without a playbook and so you're just navigating what I would call a roughly west strategy as opposed to there's the North Star and here's how we get there. You're like, we don't even know how to get there Um, and so how can we actually push through to get to what that outcome is that we're looking to achieve?
0: Do you have any role models around you that you could sort of look to?
1: I didn't get them early enough. I think that I could have not made a number of mistakes that I did make if I'd actually been had access to it earlier on. Um, And so that's the other thing that I would say as a solo female founder. You can be a solo female founder, and don't get me wrong, heaps of success, but then make sure you have got that huge network around you to build that out if you don't have those co-founders. And so I think that it's access to that and finding mentors and you know now therefore this whole male champions have changed like there's so much stuff that going back in early 2000s didn't exist
0: didn't exist at all okay so I want to ask you around um you know we often speak about women self-doubt holding themselves back kind of limiting their own potential and sort of self-rejecting before they step forward and take opportunities and I just wonder is that part of Like, do you have that inner voice that kind of questions whether you should do things?
1: My inner voice is I love to work and I am a yes person. So opportunity comes up, I'll always say yes. The limiting thing that I have is that I am a mum of two kids. So then I actually have that whole concept of mother's guilt. Um, And so, I mean, I can even remember sailing into a southerly 2015 Sydney to Hobart and I'm literally hanging off the boat there's water going everywhere can't hear can't see we're in a massive storm oh my god what am I doing out here what if I die and I my fellow sailor's like to shut up on the mother's guilt. My mother's 80 and she's still going on about it. So just stop it, be present and enjoy the experience, even though it's not an enjoyable experience. Yeah. But I think that for me, it's I should be spend more time with my kids um, and I literally could work 24 seven because I love it. And so it's not holding me back. It's making me get more efficient and being more present with the kids. So it's about quality time, not quantity time. But I think that you know, when you bring two little humans into the world and you're responsible for them, it's a really challenging position to be in. And I think that that in itself and roles and responsibilities of women may also be holding them back.
0: saw a, a fascinating speech yesterday um, that Sam Mostyn um, gave, and it was really interesting. She made a comment around, um, you know, we operate in the same um, sphere as men. Uh, you know, we're same, same circles business-wise, corporate, founders, whichever you like but the issues that we face are largely invisible to the men around us. Does that resonate for you, Georgie?
1: I think so. I think that the fact that a female has to grow a human inside of them and have all those hormonal imbalances and actually for nine months grow a human and then have to be responsible for a human, men don't have to do that. They can watch the journey and they can facilitate and try and help the journey, but they have nothing... um, Cannot experience that. And I think that it then starts at that after the child's born that we need to uh, have more balanced paternity and maternity leave. So if you, you know, I think that's it. The men that have actually had the paternity leave and have actually been able to bond with the kid and work out how hard it is, I mean, it is the hardest job in the world then you will get a lot more balance for men to really understand, well, my wife can be at home and look after the kids, but why? Why should she when you can have that balance? And so if we're already looking at roles and responsibilities of what women should be doing in the family, then how can they actually then have many multiple hats and multiple lives?
0: How do you juggle? I'm really fascinated by this Um I was having a conversation with someone the other day who's an early stage tech founder, successfully raised some really good capital, has got some good investment um, and is really battling with um, finding balance is probably the only way that I can say it. Um, and I think feels guilty about taking time for herself. And you know, as we kept talking, I think at the end of the day, where we got to was her perception of what a successful tech founder looks like Um, doesn't necessarily marry up with the things that she gets the most joy out of in terms of being a founder. And she gets the most joy out of deep thinking, problem solving, the kind of creative aspects of the journey about, you know, dreaming up the what if and the next phase. Does that, when I make those comments, does any of that kind of resonate for you at any stages in your journey? Or what advice would you have for someone who's feeling like that?
1: I agree. I think that the whole concept of a founder needs to do 120 hours a day in the business is gone. And I'm actually working with a um venture capital company in, in England in creating a course around just that. So we actually got to dispel the myths. Um and to talk to that point, I think that having children actually helps create that balance. I can remember pushing Arabella on the swing doing that deep thinking. So I'm present with her. She's really enjoying being on the swing, but I'm not in front of a computer. I'm not reading anything. I've actually got time out. And that's when I look at it as really an active meditation. So even when I'm sailing and I'm offshore, you know, off the coast of Australia, I don't, I don't have connection to any devices. I can actually do that thinking. And so I would encourage everyone to actually book that time in their diaries, go for that walk, do what you need to do and don't feel guilty about it because that's when some of your best ideas come.
0: Okay. So um, is there a time in your business journey yourself when it's kind of like I'm done with this idea, it's time to now delegate and step away? I've taken the business as far as I can take it.
1: I think I got to that point with spring day in the concept of scaling. So we did the investment rounds um, and yes, you can be growing, growing, growing organically, which is great and winning more work. And that's something that I was really good at. I mean, my CTO used to joke, you could go out there and sell a million dollars worth of work much easier than going to raise a million dollars worth of work. Um, and so if you can sit back and be aware of that and you're like, right, well, where is this growth going to happen? How will I get this exit event for my early um, shareholders? I knew I just couldn't do it alone. So we got approached by a company and they said, look, we think it's a really, really good fit. And so then you can say it's a one plus one equals three scenario. And then, you know, it made complete sense and off you go. And then there's the point that you're wanting to go in a direction, the board's wanting to go another direction. And you're like, right, I think that's it. Time to back away from it um, and, you know, let someone else take it and, you know, evolve and take it to the next level. Which then helps you understand as well, what am I actually good at? And it is this early stage stuff. So do I want to be a CEO of a company scaling it? I could do it. But where I get most enjoyment out of to talk to your, you know, founder story beforehand, it's the ideation and the thinking and actually creating that problem solving and finding that product market fit.
0: Really fascinating. One of the themes that I think is coming through quite strongly is um, the self-awareness of founders to be clear or to work out on the journey what you are and what you aren't good at. Do you think there's something about being a founder that kind of forces that that journey on you? I think there's,
1: if you can get over the fact a lot of people Ego, if you can let ego go and actually think about what is the best thing for the business? What am I really, really good at? But what do I enjoy doing? Like, I think that that's it. Who am I? What do I enjoy doing? I really don't enjoy doing that, but it has to be done. I want to find someone who really, really enjoys doing that. And then you're getting into raising capital and people are grilling you about who you are. Can they trust you with their money? Um, And you're starting to do personality tests. I mean, these VCs are asking for personality tests now. And, you know, there's... um, You know, uh, Michelle Duval has fingerprint for success. So how can you build the teams around you and work out what the superpowers are and how to communicate and all of that? But these are these all, you know, to borrow Simon Sinek, human skills coming through that are only now um, not only making it into business, but, you know, boards and balance sheets are now starting to reflect as well. Um, And so I think that, you know, it's the opportunities there for founders to, work out who I am as a person and then, as I say, wrap yourself around it so that you can actually be successful if you've got that passion, the vision, the North Star um, and that manifesto that you're trying to deliver on.
0: What's your superpower as a founder?
1: I do think I'm really curious. Um, I ask a lot of questions. Oh, what's that? You know, read a lot of different stuff, have a you know, a broad understanding without a very, very deep understanding on a lot of things, but also the tenacity. So if someone was to say to you, oh, no, you can't do that. Like, well, I think we can. Let's try and find another way. And so it's the ability to be flexible and agile to actually get through and get a solution as opposed to things all too hard. And let's walk away from it.
0: So as a curious person with lots of different interests, how do you kind of filter down to the idea that, you know, is the one that you're going to pursue?
1: I do a lot of work on values. Um, And I think that's, what's the role that I want to have, you know, (laughs) you know, if you say, well, what's going to be on her tombstone? She died trying and trying to solve big problems that are really, really difficult. So if you think about things like education and health, they're definitely up there. And you mentioned that whole concept of joy. I actually don't think a lot of people know what brings them joy and they get themselves into situations that they feel that they can't get out of because, you know, they're, responsible for doing things and not in control of their own life um, and so they're on a, you know a treadmill that they're really scared to get off because what does the other side look like my argument is give it a shot you can always go back to the treadmill
0: oh with that question in mind do you think more women should be prepared to to jump off the treadmill and give it a go in the founder space
1: oh 100 because if anything you will have a greater understanding of what it means to be a founder. Um, you know, the whole concept of entrepreneurship, you're either going to be an entrepreneur, work for an entrepreneur, or live with an entrepreneur. And so if you can understand that it's entrepreneur that's creating growth and innovation and moving the na- not just the nation, the world forward, the way that people think um, and the risks that they take and, you know, whether it's tenacity, curiosity, or whatever the, you know, the, the talents and skill sets are, if you give that a shot, then you're going to have so much more respect for it, that whole industry
0: back to joy again what brings you joy
1: my kids my partner um my hobbies but success in business as well like I love closing a killer deal or working out you know product market fit so it's that whole light bulb yes moment that um I've been able to choose something you know it's just sorry you keep going, keep going. no it's interesting I had a knee reconstruction three years ago Oh, well, I did my knee playing netball. And so it's for three years. I've been like, I can't go back to netball. It's so dangerous. Why am I playing netball netball in my mid forties? But I'm back doing it. And I absolutely love it. You know, I'm 20 years older than the rest of the teammates, but that's joy. And it's that whole going back to who you are, what you love. And if you can, you know, enable your body to do it, then give it a crack.
0: So you mentioned you didn't find role models early enough. Does that mean you did find them at some point in your journey?
1: Yes, 100%. Okay.
0: And how did you find them?
1: Ask. You've got to ask people. I need help with this. I need help with that. And so through my investor circles, um, I think, you know, two key pivotal people was my accountant and my lawyer and their networks. And then I went and found a home in Zucata Innovations, um, which was, you know, I think if you can find the incubators and the accelerators um, that resonate with you, just to give you access to also like-minded people. Because if you're the solo female founder over here in a box or by yourself, you don't have that community. Whereas if you can go and try and find that community and then they will help you navigate it as well. And help
0: with the loneliness, I assume. as a
1: Yes, especially being a female founder. You know, you can count on one hand at the start, obviously that's, definitely changing and you've got springboard enterprises and some really cool programs coming to fruition Um, and it's tapping into that network because there are a lot of people that wish to change the role of females and actually boost the whole you know there's the boosting female founder grant um, and all those sorts of initiatives that are now coming up which were not available when I started all of this.
0: You, um, and that is absolutely fantastic. You know, when I think of the sort of, you know, private equity space um, and any time I've had any dealings in there, I've I don't, I've never sat across the table from a female partner um, in one of those firms and I think I have once sat across the table from, you know, someone in a, in a more junior um, role that was female. Is that landscape changing at all? Like are we, I know there's a lot of talk about, um gender shift but do you see any sort of real change in that space
1: i haven't no i think the intention is there yeah. and i think it's how fast does it take to catch up so yeah i think the yeah 100 the intention is there but you need to have the skills and the talent to come through and so it starts at school so if we can actually throw a whole bunch of energy onto well-being and all this sort of stuff at school. And I do think education is potentially the last industry to get disrupted. Um, I mean, the concept of standardised testing without actually knowing who I am and relying on a mark for a person to do a job yes. it, it's to change. Being a mum of two school kids, absolutely, which is why I also am heavily involved in the Tech Girls a Superhero competition to enable these girls to realise you don't have to code to, you know, found a technology company because technology oh, is me. everywhere now.
0: Yeah, tell me about that because I wanted to ask you about that competition and I wanted to ask you about school and I want to ask you about what should we be doing to encourage girls um, to move in this direction?
1: Yeah, so I think it's that whole be the change you seek. One of the major reasons I quit working for the management consulting I was is they made my favourite female partner redundant and I literally was in the lift with her and I was just like, but why would I stay? And so I do think you need that visibility and that female role modelling Um, so that women can realise that I love something and I can actually grow a company and get investment and all of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so the Tech Girls are Superheroes is a brilliant initiative um, from Janine up in Queensland and she's, you know, won OIMs and that sort of thing for it, is to enable girls to get in there understanding problems and how then I can build a business to solve a problem.
0: And all those problems
1: are related to the United Nations Um, sustainable development goals
0: yes fantastic I interviewed in my very first series I interviewed Louise Adams and Louise um, she's the chief operating officer at Oricon which is an engineering services firm and at the time she just won she was CEO for Australia and New Zealand and she told this fantastic story um, where she knew from a very young age what she wanted to do and she knew it because her grandfather used to share stories of her with pictures of bridges and, you know, they were bridges in all sorts of different countries, including third world countries. And um, she just got engaged in this dream of how, wouldn't it be amazing if she could build bridges and save communities that lived under these bridges that were washed away by flooding each year. So she really came at it from a big picture world problem solving kind of initiative. Does, does this competition tap into that? Like I hear a lot of things about, Engaging girls in STEM through that kind of problem solving,
1: a hundred percent. And I think that that's more anything to do with females is that the passion and the purpose drives a lot of what we do. So if we can build businesses to solve problems that we're experiencing or injustices that we're experiencing, like the you know sustainable development goals from the UN then that drives a reason as to why I want to curiously solve that problem and what we need to do to put the building blocks in place to get there.
0: And so what drives you? Where does the passion come from for the area you focused on?
1: Well, now I'm really interested in women's health. I think that coming into the age of menopause, We're all left alone out there to fend for ourselves. Um, Sweating away,
0: sweating away on our own. Sweating away,
1: exactly. And so that to me is a gigantic problem. Um, And you look at the cost of society. So the health system cannot cope with us anymore. And it's what is the inclination for us to go and invest in ourselves so that we can have the concept of longevity and live a lot longer, healthier and a happier life.
0: Going right back to your focus, though, on well-being and all those sorts of things, you know, has it always been an area of interest or passion or is there something that really kind of, you know, drove you into that space?
1: Oh, I think it was, you know, here I was. Um, If you think about what does make you happy and who you are as a person and what makes you tick and removing the boredom and why am I at work and it's questioning all of those sorts of things... It's finding out you know who I am and trusting that. Um, and so part of that is the five pillars of well-being. You can't have the energy to achieve the goals that you want to do if you're not sleeping and fueling your body and moving enough and all of those things.
0: The reason I ask you those questions is because I hear a lot of feedback um, from women at various stages in their career but probably also in the stage you're thinking about in terms of menopause and, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on in people's lives where they might be, you know, they might want to dream about doing something else but the very first question they get stuck on is, I don't really know what my passion is. I don't really know which direction to channel that in. Um, I don't suspect that's ever been an issue for you.
1: It hasn't been but I've still worked with coaches to reaffirm that and I think that you know leaving spring day 18 months ago and exiting it it's almost like well what is Georgie 3.0 going to do and so I got presented with all of those opportunities um, and so how do I then come back to what's important to me let's look at our values let's look at what's going to get you out of bed and you know you've got opportunity over here which is hey lots of money and great this and trend and then there's opportunity over here that's what you're going to get out of bed for. Um, And I think that that's where you've got to be really, really understanding of who you are. Um, And, you know, don't get me wrong, you could go for a massive paycheck because what you choose to do with that paycheck then funds your joy and your happiness and your purpose. That's just not where I've come from. So the core of who I am, I need to be building that change.
0: So I love that you um, got a coach to help you through that. Because I think that so many people feel like they have to do this part of the process on their own.
1: Oh, no, no. Coaches fast track everything. You could do it alone. You know, you could Google this, read all about it. But why wouldn't you pay someone who's an expert in that? And I think that it's that efficiency, like, dare I say, um, as a working mum, I don't have time for that. I need to know now and it's at speed. So I'm going to get the best to help do that.
0: Georgie can I ask you um, the question I love to ask everybody from your perspective what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change
1: I think that the concept of feminine leadership at the moment is still trying to mold into what people think it should be so the brave feminine leadership is throwing that all away being authentic building a team around you and moving forward Taking the risk, jumping into it, throwing out the playbook that hasn't worked. Otherwise, we'd be in a different situation.
0: How do you compare building a business to the Sydney to Hobart yacht race?
1: Both exactly the same, right? So if you're on a boat, you need to have a strong crew that you can trust. So in business, that's your team. You then need to make sure who's driving the business because they're behind the helm and you've got to throw all your belief behind them then there's potentially the boat owner so you've got to get the right levels of stakeholders and management in, involved you've got your competitors coming through you've got your weather coming through so it's actually managing a whole bunch of variables but we're all trying to cross the bass straight together safely and get to the other end
0: have you been asked that question before
1: yes and I it's quite interesting that I do think that both parts of my life are very very um you know parallel with um how you actually can sale but also rule the company because there's not one thing alone that will make it work
0: and will you do that race again
1: yeah hoping for it next year yeah fantastic
0: brilliant so next year could be a big year we've got this new business we're going to hear about and another sydney to hobart georgie it's been fantastic having you as part of the conversation i just want to say thank you so much for joining us
1: thanks melissa
0: and good luck in the race and with the business (laughs) thanks If the conversation's resonating with you and it's starting some questions around you and your future and your next step, come and join us. Come and join the conversation at bravefeminineleadership.com. We would love to meet you.